glad you're here. And especially if I said, if you're a guest with us, anytime you come into a new church, a new place of work, a new school, a new somebody's house, you're wondering, okay, what's practice here? What's this place like? What are the people like? What are the things that they do here? And we know that's normal. And that's a, it's a, a normal question and it's a normal thought that people have. And so if you're coming in here new to this church because a friend invited you, a family member invited you, um, you just are saying, hey, I just am looking for something more in life and you're here. We're glad that you're here. And what we want to do in the series that we're, we're going through right now is just talk about the things that we practice as a church. And so we want to take out some of the mystery or the confusion of why the church does certain things or why we do certain things. And so what we're doing, if you were here this last week, you know we talked about communion. Today we're going to talk about baptism. Just things that the church does to help gain some clarity for you, especially if you're new to the church and new to that experience But I also know that even if you've been coming to church for a long time, it's helpful to be refreshed and have a new sense of, okay, why do I practice this? And is it because it was handed down to me from my parents or grandparents, or I've just been coming to church long enough that that's just a tradition? And sometimes the tradition, because it's a tradition, become a ritual, and it can lose lose some of the the meaning. You can get stuck in a rut. And so we want to just say, hey, let's have a fresh look at what we practice as a church, why we practice it, and really embrace the deep spiritual meaning that that God has given us with the practices of of our church. And so, um, again, if you were here this last week, you know that we talked about those practices. But if you weren't here, let me just remind you, these are some of the practices that when you come to church and you come to South Hills Church, you experience. There's singing, there's prayer, scripture reading and teaching. Um, Various weeks we do communion, we do baptism. And so all of these things are things that we do. What we're focused on in this particular series is uh, these last two here, um, which communion and baptism, which traditionally in the church are called the ordinances. Now, you you don't have to ever hear that word again. Essentially, it just means that they were ordained by Christ. That is, he taught them and he modeled them. And so the church over time has just said, these are the ordinances. And depending on your background, you may have heard them called the sacraments. And some church debate over, you know, what are the number of sacraments or ordinances that the church should follow, the practices of the church. And so some, uh, you know, churches would say, well, you need to add things like foot washing or penance or confession. And um, there's debate on how many ordinances there should be in the church. But what's clear is no one likes these two. There's not a single church that debates are these part of what the church should practice. And so we practice these here at South Hills Church, and so we're just talking about them. Last week, we just brought a little more clarity to communion. Today, we'll talk about baptism. Now, these are the two things we're focused on. But we're going to do a three-week series, and because of that, we're going to add one extra one, which is membership, um, which is not part of the ordinances, uh, but it is something that we practice here, and we want to make sure that you have an understanding of why we do it, what's the value behind it, the significance, and so we'll talk about that. So three weeks, communion, baptism, and membership is what we're focused on. But today, we're going to be talking about baptism. And in order to talk about, really focus in on baptism, what I want to do is just take you to a passage in the Bible where we see the church, really it's the birth of the church, and it's the first time that the church, uh, you see baptism practiced after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And so it's the first time that we see it, we see it practiced as a, a church. You see it practiced earlier by Jesus and his disciples and John, but as a church, this is the first time it's practiced in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Um, if you don't have a Bible, hopefully receive the handout on your way in here. There's some notes there with the passage printed. You can follow along with us. If you're a note taker, today is your lucky day, okay? If you like filling in blanks, 
you're going to have some fun, okay? So <laughs> if you're not, just enjoy and just, uh, and, and just soak it all in. But uh, once you find it, um, let me just give you a little context, and then we'll stand in order to, as, we, as we read it. But just a little context. We're jumping in on a, a speech that's being given by the Apostle Peter. So uh, this is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come to uh, the followers of Jesus Christ. And there's a commotion, and Peter gets up and he speaks to people who are wondering what's going on, a bunch of Jewish people who are gathered in Jerusalem for the, the festival. And in this, in this speech, he declares the good news about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, that he's, he, he was crucified, but he's, he rose again. And so he declares this great message, and what we see is the people respond, and 3,000 people uh, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the church just grew a whole lot bigger, right? It just, it be, it, it, there it was. And this, so this is a, a really special and remarkable moment. And what we're going to do is we're going to jump in at the tail end of Peter's speech um, to hear what he's saying, but really more focused in on how is it that the people respond to what it is that Peter has to say. Um, and so that's what we're going to be taking a particular look at here to help us understand a little bit more about baptism. So all that said, let's stand together in honor of God's Word. Let me read the passage, and then we'll come back and we'll take a look at it together. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 36, says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are um, far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. We'll take a look at this together. Beginning in verse 36, this is what uh, Peter says. Peter says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So what you need to understand is that the, the central focus of Peter's whole speech, his whole message, is Jesus. The whole focus is on who Jesus is, what he's done. And, and, I'll, and I'll say this. In order to understand baptism, and the, the first thing you need to get is Jesus. The first thing you need to understand when it comes to baptism is who Jesus is and what he's done. And so that's, that's an important piece. In fact, all of those practices, um, the, the three the practices I showed you earlier, communion, baptism, and membership, all of them require us to have an understanding of who Jesus is, to have faith in, in Christ. And so, so the first thing we need to understand when it comes to baptism is who Jesus is. And listen, listen to what he says. He says, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So Peter wants to clarify for us who Jesus is. He's asking the question that all of us have to, to at some point, um, ask and find an answer to, which is, who's Jesus, and what do I do with him? And Peter makes it really clear. He was the man that was crucified, but he was more than a man. He, he rose again because he's Lord. That is, he is God. 
So he is Lord, he's the Lord God, but he's also the Messiah. That is, he's the Savior of the world. And so it's important, again, that we first understand who Jesus is and what he has done. It's the most important thing for us to, to, to get and, and a, a starting point for, um, for uh, when it comes to baptism. Now, second thing is then we see how is it that they are going to respond. It says this, verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the, uh, the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So they've heard the truth about who Jesus is, that he's Lord and Savior. And now the next question is, well, how do I respond to Jesus? See, because you can know a whole lot about Jesus. You can know about, you know, who he is and what he's done, but it has to be a personal, um, you have to have at some point personally respond and say, what do I do with Jesus? How do I respond? And it's great because here, after hearing Peter, the people who are listening said, ah, this is the truth. Jesus is God. He, did, he was crucified, but he rose again. He is our Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. So they've been confronted with the truth, and now their next question is, what do I do with it? How do I respond? How do I process? And what's my next step? And so the question then for them and for us is, what's the next step after you've come to, into an understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done? Will you receive him or will you, and, and, or will you reject him? That's the big question that all of us have to, to, to um, ask and answer. But they ask a great question. They just simply say, what shall we do? Which is such a beautiful question. And I just want you to know this, that you are coming to church, and anytime you're, you're interacting with spiritual things and you're trying to understand who God is, it's okay to say, what should I do now? What's my next step? I'm trying to figure things out and to ask the question. You don't have to come here with all of the answers. Do you know that? You don't have to come here to say, oh, I've got it all figured out and fake it till you make it. It is okay to say, I don't know what to do. Here's Jesus. Here's who he is and what he's done. What's my next step? How am I supposed to <laughs> respond to this? So they ask a fantastic question. And, and the truth is, as a church, we want to help every single one of you figure out your next step. What are you supposed to do when you respond, when you find out revelation, who, who Christ is and what he said to you and what, he, what he's about, then to say, well, how do I respond? That's what we want to do as a church. In fact, that's the greatest, like, you know, the most, one of the most exciting parts of my job is to help people um, begin to process and to determine what's their next step. Here's who Jesus is. What's your next step? How should you respond? And so one of the ways that, I, that a, a tool that I have used for many, many years to help lots of different people determine their next step is something called the spiritual timeline. And what I'd like to do is just share with you, one, as a way for you to say, where am I at? What, what should I do now? Or for you to say, hey, I've, I've, I have faith, and now how can I help others? And so what I want to do is talk with you just for a moment about a tool that I have used. And uh, it's in your notes if you're a note taker. Or you can just listen. Oftentimes, I'm using, um, I'm doing this, uh, sitting down with somebody for coffee, and it's usually scribbled out on a napkin or a piece of paper or in my office, just whatever I can find to say, hey, can I just visually help you understand maybe where you're at spiritually and what your next step is? And so um, let me just share it with you. I'll start with a line, and a line uh, on both ends. I'll start by just saying here's birth and there's death. There's a, there's a physical timeline that we're all on. That all of us are born and all, and all of us at some point will die. 
So there's a, a physical timeline that we all have. But within that physical timeline, the life that we live, the life that we have on earth, there's also within that a spiritual timeline, a spiritual timeline within that. Now, all of us may be on a little bit different journey spiritually, but there are certain elements of the spiritual timeline that are universal. And so what I want to do is talk about those, that timeline and help you identify where you're at on the spiritual timeline. So from birth, after birth, um, there's, uh, you don't have a whole lot of thoughts about God and spiritual things, right? When you're born, you're just thinking about when can I eat, when can I sleep, when am I going to have my diaper changed, right? You're not thinking about God and deep spiritual things. You don't have like great grandiose thoughts. It's just uh, you're born. That's great. So there's not a whole lot of thoughts going on about spiritual things. But at some point, as you're growing up, you begin to get curious. You begin to get curious. And so, again, I just, I use pictures, you know, so there's the no thoughts and the curious big question mark. You just begin to say, how did I get here? Or, you know, how, how come there's, uh, you know, the, the sky and the moon and you see the stars and you're like, wow, that's, that's a whole lot of stars. And what else is out there? You're just kind of curious and you just ask, you know, what's the purpose of life and what's some of the, some of the things? Why do, why do bad things happen? You just start to, you know, you, you're curious about stuff. And is there a God? Is there not a God? It's just a, more of a curiosity. You're asking questions, um, but not necessarily looking for answers, right? It's just more questions. It's just things come up and you go, hmm, I don't know what to do with that. Now, over the course of time, at some point, you may find yourself not just curious and asking questions. Well, how come my friend believes this and they go to that church? And how come my friend believes this and they go to that church? Instead of just being curious but not doing anything with it, at some point, many people take the next step, which is say, I'm going to process that. So that's where I put a question mark with an exclamation mark, where there's questions, but you're also seeking an answer. Because lots of us can have questions. Lots of us can have, be curious about things, but never really seek kind of understanding or, um, uh, you know, a deeper, uh, you, know, under, you know, trying to figure things out. But at some point, for many of you, and you've been there or you're there currently, where you've started to say, yeah, why are there different religions? And they all mean the same thing? Do, what's, the, what's the difference there? Or I'm, I'm struggling in my life and I'm trying to figure out why am I here? What's the point? And or maybe you've been confronted with certain things like death or sickness or tragedy. And you say, well, why would God allow that to happen? Or what happens to me after I die? And you begin to say, I want answers. And you start to process. And you start to say, I want to have a deeper uh, conversation. I want to go a little further. I want to actually pick up a Bible and read it myself. I want to meet with somebody and talk and see what they've learned. And there's a processing period. And that's, for many people, a wonderful next step from just questions to processing. But at some point, the, for many people, after they processed and maybe they've encountered the God of the Bible, they say, you know what? I have enough information to say I need and I believe and trust in Jesus. There's a point of commitment from I've just been a processor, a seeker to I think Jesus is God. He is Lord and Savior, like Peter's talking about. And it cuts you to the heart and you say, yep, I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus. And you've gone from processing to a committed relationship with Christ. And then following that, then there's a process of growth. And it's not, by the way, um, that after you've made a commitment to Christ, you never stop processing. Processing still goes on, but it's a process after the relationship with Christ that you continue to grow. And you don't have to know everything you need to know about God um, before you make a commitment to God. Do you know that? Um, You just have to know enough to say, I believe. 
And that's true in lots of different things. You take a job, you don't know everything there is to know about the job that you're going to take. You process, learn, and grow after you say, I'm, commit, I'm committed to the job. You make a decision about a school. I don't know everything there is to know about the school or the direction, the major, but you learn, you process, and you grow. When you get married, you know everything about your spouse before you got married? No, you learn a whole lot after you get married, don't you, right? It's a process. <laughs> you're processing, you're learning, and you're growing. But you've made a commitment, and that's the process of growing. So that's the spiritual timeline. The question that I have for you is, where do you place yourself on this timeline? And maybe right now, on your notes, or just in your mind, say, here's where I'm at. And I think it's very helpful and clarifying to know where you're at. And here's the thing. There's no wrong spot to be on your spiritual timeline. Do you understand that? It's just an honest opportunity for you to say, here's where I am, so that I have an understanding of that's where I'm at. I want to take this point seriously, and what's my next step? And so it's helpful to say, yeah, I'm in the spot where I've been curious, but I haven't really been asking, you know, deeper questions that have understanding, or I've been processing for a while, and I think I'm ready to make a commitment, or I've committed, but I'm on the front end of growing. Great, but how do you continue to grow? So the question is, where are you at in this, this spiritual timeline? Now, if you are here and you're saying, I've been processing and I'm trying to figure out what I believe and what's my next step, let me just help you clarify the difference between uh, Christianity with all other religions, okay? All other major religions, here's the big difference. And so if you're you're a note taker, what I want to do is just talk for a moment about religion versus Christianity. And this is helpful for some of you are aware of this, some of you may be new to you, but when you think about Christianity, it stands alone in terms of uh, just a basic core understanding of, of, uh, of, of certain things, and it's different from all other major religions. All other ma- major religions could be summarized with this word, could be summarized but by the word do. All major religions could be summarized by the word do. That is, there's a, a part of all major religions that say, here's what I need to do in order to gain favor with God. Here's what I need to do to earn a certain level of heaven. And then, or maybe another level of heaven, I've got to do a bunch of things to get there, or I've got to do certain things to reach nirvana, or I've got to do uh, certain things to, uh, you know, get into um, this a, a place of paradise or whatever. So for me, all other religion, major religions in the world, it's a, it's a do system. What can I do? What can I work to do? How can I somehow get God's favor to like let me come into a certain level of heaven or, or um, you know, place after life or, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a do system. It's a work system. Now, here's the problem with the, all those systems, a, a religious works system. The problem with the religious works system is that you never know if you've done enough. There's always a level of fear and insecurity and wondering, have I done enough? And the way that I picture it is if you had a job as a salesman and your boss comes to you and says, listen, if you want to keep your job this next year, you've got to reach a new sales quota. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, so what's the new sales quota? And the boss says, oh, I'm not going to tell you. You just have to meet the sales quota. And well, like, you're thinking to yourself, well, how do I know if I'm going to keep my job if I don't know what the sales quota is? Tough. You just have to meet it. And so for an entire year, you're wondering, have I done enough sales? Am I low? And there's insecurity, there's fear, there's wondering, there's all that stuff. And it's, it, there's no peace in that, Right. 
And that's what people who find themselves in the works religious system of what I can do to somehow get there, there's always this question of, have I done enough good things? Have they balanced out the bad things? And I hope I get to heaven. I hope God accepts me. But there's this problem with it. So this is how all religious systems are summarized. They're summarized by the word do. Christianity is different. Let me show you. Christianity is summarized by the word done. Isn't this good news? That the, the, the Christianity stands so vastly different from all of the religious systems because it's the recognition that it's not what I can do to get God to accept me, but it's recognition that God loved me so much that he did something for me, that it's what Christ has done. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He did the work so that we just have to receive it. It's a gift. It's not what I do to earn God's favor and salvation. It's what he's done for me, and it's a gift I received by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a completely different system, and, it, and it, it, it helps us understand that God loves us, first of all, but we can have peace because it's not about what I do. It's not about have I done enough, have I not done enough, and by the way, you can't cover all your sins and forgive them, by the way. You know that? So Christ came to die on the cross for our sins, and, that, and that's the good news. And so it's what Christ has done. Here's a popular passage in, in the Bible that many Christians are familiar with. It talks about God's gift to us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's what God has done for us, not by works so that no one should boast. And so it's a recognition that it's, I have, I have hope, I have peace, and I have salvation because of what Christ has done not what I can do to earn a certain place in heaven. So this is an important thing. Now, with that, if there's, you're processing and you're on that, that spiritual timeline and you're looking and you're saying, I'm processing, when I recognize what I've, I just have to abandon faith in myself and put faith and trust in Christ, that is what we would call crossing the line of faith. And again, if we want to get to baptism, we have to start here. Because what Peter says is the same thing we need to hear. We need to know who Jesus is and accept him before we step to the next step, which would be baptism. So it's important that we get it. Now, the question then is, well, how do we cross that line of faith? How do we go from here to on the other side of the cross? What does that look like? How, what does that mean? Well, let me just give you a, a, a very simple um, outline, and I'll just go back to what Peter says. No, let's go, sorry, we'll go back, back to the, the passage. Peter replied, listen, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he starts by saying you need to repent. It's coming, it's turning to Christ first. And so then how do we do that? Let me give you kind of uh, just a couple of words to help you understand how we cross the line of faith. The first word is this, it's sin. It's recognizing that all of us have sinned. In Romans 3.23, it says this, that all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. So we just have to first come to a sense of, hey, I'm broken, that I can do good things, but it doesn't take away the bad things. If I've, um, you know, sinned against somebody if I've stolen from them, if I've um, gossiped against them, if I've hurt them physically, I, I can't just say, hey, well, I'm going to mow your lawn for the next week, and that'll cover all the theft and all the terrible things I've said and all these bad things, right? The good doesn't, like, take away the bad. The good is nice, but mowing the lawn isn't going to take away the fact that I've been stealing from you, hurting you, you know, gossiping against you. Does that make sense? So all of us have sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. That's what the, the Bible tells us. It's, it's part of the reality. So then with that, there's a second word. Second word is separation. Because of sin, 
There is separation, and the Bible talks about that as well. In Romans 6.23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages, the penalty of our sin is death. Death means separation. It's the spirit separated from the body. And sin separates. That's what it does. Not just physically, but it happens relationally. It happens spiritually. When I sin against you, if every single time... Um, I, you, you see me, I punch you in the face. Um, that, that'd not be nice, right? I'd be hurting you. I'd be sinning against you. Do you want to hang out with me every time you, you know, when you see me, you'd be avoiding me, right? There'd be a separation because you're like, that guy can't be trusted. Um, so there's separation that happens when sin takes place. And so there's a separation for us uh, with God because of our sin, our, our brokenness. There's a separation that takes place. But then here's a third word. word it, it, it's worse than that. It also leads to slavery. When we sin, not only does it separate us from God and, and, re, and hurt our, us relationally and spiritually, but there's also a slavery that takes place because of sin. And the Apostle Paul talks about that in Romans as well. Let me show you what he has to say. Maybe you can relate to it. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. That there's this part of us that like, I want to do good, but why do I keep ending up doing bad? I want to do good things, but there's the bad things that I just keep falling into. And there's a slavery that takes place. And here's, here's, a, here's a, uh, you know, a spiritual truth and reality that in our lives, we think to ourselves, oh, if I have freedom, I can do whatever I want. And we think to ourselves, I'll just do this, and I'll do that, and I'll do this. And oftentimes, the things that we think will give us freedom, what? Later become our master. And we become a slave to the very things that we thought would give us freedom that we become a slave to those things and we can't get rid of it. We just keep falling back to the same pattern. For some of us, it's like, I'm, I'm a slave to, you know, ice cream. I'm a slave to spending my money. I'm a slave to um, blowing up in anger. I, I am a slave to pornography. I'm a slave to um, alcohol. There's lots of things that we think this will give us freedom and life, satisfy me. But then we become enslaved by those very things. And it, and it becomes, it's a, it's a very, very uh, difficult place and, and, a, and a reality that we, that the Apostle Paul relates to, that we get it and we find ourselves not only uh, because of our sin separated, but enslaved. So then wh- what, what do we do about this? The, the good news is this, that we have a Savior, that we have a Savior. And I know I've been telling you that all the bad news, you're like, great, I love church. It's awesome. You know, I'm feeling worse about myself. But here's the good news. It gets a lot better at this point on. <laughs> Can I tell you that? So you go from sin, uh, we're broken, and if you're not sure that you're sinful, let me just ask your family or friends, and they'll be pretty clear about that pretty quickly, right? We're sinful, it's separating, and then we're enslaved by things, and then the, but that's all the bad news. Here's the good news, that we have a Savior, and it talks about this in Romans as well. Romans 5.8 says this, for God, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. Isn't it great that God loves us, and He shows it? He doesn't just say it, he, he does something about it, He acts on it. While we were still sinners, while we were still broken, separated, slaves, Here's what he did. He died for us. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we can find freedom, victory, life, hope of eternity. Not based on what I do, but based on what he's done. Isn't that good news? This is great news. And, and it, if at some point you recognize, you know, I am, I am sinful. I am separated. I felt, I felt that isolation from God and other people. I do feel enslaved. Here's the good news. You can cross the line of faith by putting your faith in a Savior, which is the last word. It's surrender. Surrender. 
that you would say, I'm no longer, and I've, you, if you hear me, you know, I'll talk about this a lot, abandoning confidence and trust in yourself, what I can do, and saying, I'm going to surrender now that and put, give my life to Christ who died for me while I was a sinner because he loves me. And it's putting your faith and hope and trust in him. Romans talks about it this way. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's no longer clinging to your works, your abilities, your power, and simply saying, God, I need to trust in you. You know, that's the first step to freedom in the 12 steps. Do you realize that? It's surrendering. It's saying, I'm powerless. I can't. And it's surrendering by saying, I can't, God, you can. So it's turning to Him, putting your faith and trust in Him. It's surrendered Him, and that's how we are saved. This is the good news. And here's why this is so critical. It's critical because if you want to get to baptism, you've got to get Jesus. And you have to cross that line of faith, putting your faith and trust in Him. And this is what Peter talks about going back to Acts chapter 2. It says this, Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Repent means turning, turning from your old way, your old life, your old confidences in yourself and what you do, and saying, I'm going to turn now to Jesus, and I'm going to put my faith and trust in Him for the forgiveness of my sins, and that's the good news. But then after the repent comes what? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. So this is where we take the step over to baptism, because in the New Testament, the pattern was you put your faith in Christ, you, be, you get baptized. That there's belief and it's followed by baptism, but it starts with the belief. That's why it's so critical. And I guess the question that I just want you to, I don't want to skip over, which, which is, what are you doing with Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in Him? Have you come to a point where you've been processing and saying, I'm ready to surrender? Or, or what is it that's keeping you from surrendering? And ask those questions. Continue to process if you're not there yet. Because not everyone here has put their faith in Christ. And that's okay, but we want to encourage you to keep pursuing and processing and understanding what it is that He's done for you and not miss the incredible gift, the freedom, the life, the peace that He offers to you. You get that, then we move to baptism. And because baptism is something that is talked about in Scripture and modeled for us in Scripture, it's helpful to understand, well, what does it mean and why is it connected with faith? Why is it that after you believe in Jesus, that so often in the Scriptures we talk about baptism and we do baptism services of the church throughout history has continued to baptize people? Why is that? And so with that, I want to talk about just answer some questions when it comes to baptism. So let me just start with the first one. What is significant about baptism? The first is this, that it illustrates Jesus' burial and resurrection. If you go to Romans chapter 6, it says this, or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Next verse. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So baptism illustrates. It's a picture of what, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, what we've experienced. We've experienced a, a, a death with Christ, that he, he was buried, He died for our sins, and then on the way up from baptism, there's this sense of new life that we have through the, through the, the work of Christ on our behalf. And so, really, the second part is it also just illustrates my new life as a Christian, that my old life died with Christ, dead, buried, just as Christ died on the cross for my sins. And when I come up, I'm raised to new life, uh, not because of my work, but because of the work of Christ. That's what baptism 
pictures, it illustrates, and it's a beautiful picture. And so if you've been around um, South Hills or other places, they'll talk about this third, third um, bullet point, which is that it's an inward, um, you got that one there, go. It's an, sorry, it's, a, it's an outward sign of an inward commitment. There's an outward sign of an inward commitment. And it pictures it beautifully. Just like a wedding ring is an outward sign of a commitment that I made when, I, when, when my wife Lisa and I got married. Now, if I take this ring off, am I still married? Yeah. But I go out with this ring because I'm publicly declaring I've made a commitment. It, it's, I've, I've, it's a symbol. It's a sign. It illustrates a commitment that I made. And, um, and it's an outward, outward sign of an inward commitment um, that I've made in marriage. And so that's what baptism is. That's why it's significant. And so when you get baptized, one of the things that we encourage you to do is to get baptized here in the church because it's an opportunity for you to say, I'm going public with my faith. To outwardly share with friends, with family members that you've trusted Jesus, that you're, you've died with him and you've been raised to new life because of the work of Christ in your life. And so that's why we do it. That's why it's significant and why we celebrate it. The next question is this. Who should be baptized? Let me give you a couple of reasons. Who should be baptized? Or a couple of people. Everyone who has chosen to follow Jesus. Everyone who has chosen to follow Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 2 again in verse 41. It says this, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. So even in that, that first moment uh, where so many put their faith in Christ, they all got baptized. So everyone who's put their faith in Christ can be baptized. Here's the second reason um, that the New Testament order always is believe and then baptize. It's always believe and be baptized. So go back to that, that verse earlier. It says this, those who accepted his message. So again, it starts with an acceptance of who Christ is and acceptance of the gospel. Then the, the, the response then is to be baptized. And so that's why we say it's really that believe and then um, uh, be baptized. Now, next question. Uh, why should you be baptized? Why should you be baptized? Let me give you a couple reasons. First of all, because Christ commanded it. Christ commanded that we be baptized. If you're familiar with the kind of the final statements that Jesus made before he ascended to heaven, um, it's oftentimes called the Great Commission. Here's what he, sa- he said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So Christ commands us to make disciples and to baptize them and to teach them. So it's part of what Christ has commanded for us. Here's a second reason. The second reason is this, to follow the examples set by Christ and demonstrated by the early church. So it's, it's following what um, was modeled and demonstrated by the early church. Um, let me just show you one of their verse uh, passages, a great passage. It's a, a, a story about Philip who meets this man from Ethiopia, and he uh, explains to him the good news about Jesus Christ. And they're traveling along. He sees water, and he says, after he's just put his faith in Christ, he's like, what's to stop me from being baptized? And this is what he says. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? So again, it's modeled um, by Jesus, taught by, commanded by Jesus, but modeled by the, the early Christians in the church. Now, next question is, how do we baptize? How do we baptize? So we baptize um, at South Hills Church by immersion. That is, we, we dunk you underwater and we bring you back up. And so some, let me just explain some of the reasons why we do it. Because I know that other churches and other denominations, and maybe your background is a little bit different. Maybe there's sprinkling or there was um, some, some other form of uh, mode of baptism. And so we'll just explain a bit about why we do it. Um, and it's not to minimize some other expressions or what other churches have done or something that's been significant in your life, but just simply to help you understand why 
why we do it the way that we do. So we do um, baptism by immersion because it, the word baptize means to submerge or immerse. So the, the word itself means to dip <laughs> under, so to go underwater. So it just, that's what it means. Not sprinkle, not splash, or anything else. It's submerge or immerse. So immersion also is, best, is the best picture of the spiritual reality of baptism. So we talked earlier about that passage in Romans 6 um, that we'll show here. It just, it's that idea of being buried and being brought back up to life. So it's, it's a beautiful picture of the new life, and it illustrates it well when there's um, immersion, when you're fully sub- submerged underwater. That pictures well what Christ has done for us that Ro- it talks about here in Romans. Then the next one is this. The New Testament stories seem to indicate immersion. So we see uh, in the New Testament, the expressions of baptism were all done by immersion. So going back to John, John the baptizer, when he was baptizing people, it says this in John 3. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim uh, because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. So there's, he went to a place where there's plenty of water in the Jordan so he could baptize. And then Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus was baptized, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. So that is, he was under the water and brought back up. And so this is also, again, modeled by Jesus and his followers. Now, this is how we do it, and I understand that you may have different backgrounds or experiences, and it's not to minimize that. Really, it's not the, the mode. It's, it's important, but it's not the main thing, um, but it is just helpful to understand why we do it the way that we do here at South Hills. Now, the last question that I have is this one. Um, when should you be baptized? When should you be baptized? Here it is. As soon as you have believed. As soon as you have believed. Again, going back to Acts chapter 2, look at what it says. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. So as soon as they put their faith in Christ, they were baptized. And here's why this is important. I know that for many people in our culture, um, there's a larger separation period of like, I believed, um, but I'm just waiting to be baptized, or I never got baptized. And I'm just simply here to tell you that in the, in the New Testament, it was usually done at the same time. It says that day they got, bab- they got baptized. And so there's no need to delay. There's no need to wait. And here's why I say this, because countless times I've talked with people about baptism, and many, many times there's this sense from people of like, yes, I've accepted Christ, but I'm not ready to be baptized. And why do you think that is? Here's why. Because somehow there has been creeped, something has crept back in to our hearts, our minds, our soul, that I somehow have to do something more. That I somehow have to clean my life up in order to be worthy to be baptized. And do you know what? That's the anti-purpose of the baptism. The baptism is us simply saying, I'm baptized because I can't clean myself up. I have to go to baptize because Jesus has to clean me up, right? So if you're holding out because I've, I've just got to, you know, get my life a little bit more together, I've got to figure things out, I've got to, you know, somehow be more worthy, guess what? If you're waiting to be perfect, it's never going to happen, okay? That's why we're baptized. And so if you believe in Jesus, you can be baptized. Guess what? If you're imperfect, join the club. That's why we continue to call out to Jesus to say, God, we need your help. And baptism just simply symbolizes the fact that I've decided to follow you and I need you to continue to transform me. Amen? That's why we do it. Let me give you one other thing that I just think is helpful sometimes when it comes to baptism. Sometimes when, when it comes to baptizing, baptism, people hold out or they're, they're kind of let down because somehow they think that baptism is going to make them more spiritual. 
that somehow if they get baptized, some special magical supernatural thing will happen. More grace will happen. You'll be spiritually like, you know, on fire and all these things. You'll have more power, spiritual, all this kind of thing. Guess what? When you're baptized, you know what happens? You get wet. That's, that's what happens. Do you come out glowing? No. You just come out, guess what? You're publicly declaring what, now is it, is it significant? Yes. It's still very deeply significant. But if you're doing it to somehow get some special power or get, gain some new spiritual, like, you know, muscles, guess what? That's not it. You know how you're get, you change spiritually? Through faith in Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. Baptism's just a symbol that I've put my faith and trust in God to change me. Not what I do, but what he's done. That's the power. Baptism is the symbol of the power that you put your faith in. Do you get that? And so it's just helpful to have that orientation and that understanding, but it's very meaningful and significant. Christ called us to it, to to, to publicly come forward and say, yep, I put my faith and trust in him, not me. So the question I leave you with is this. Have you put your faith in Jesus? And if you have, and you haven't been baptized, what's holding you back? And if you've been baptized and you put your faith in Christ, what's holding you back from telling other people the good news about Jesus Christ so that they can believe and be baptized as well? That's what Christ has called us to be about. Let's take a moment and let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your direction. More than anything, Lord, we thank you for your love for us. So clearly demonstrated through the work of Jesus Christ. That you didn't just say you loved us, but you, you did something for us. You met our, our deepest need. Lord, we have a, a problem that we're, we're broken, we're sinful, we do the things that we don't want to do, we find ourselves enslaved by the things that we thought would give us freedom. Um, God, and we need help. Lord, we thank you that as we surrender and uh, abandon confidence in ourselves and put confidence and hope in you, we, we are saved. We can find forgiveness, freedom, and hope. God, we pray, I pray, for those who are here who have yet to put their faith in you, that they would receive that gift, that they would recognize it's not what they do, but to receive what you have done. We thank you, Lord, for the beautiful picture of baptism, what it represents, all that you have done for us. And because of that, Lord, we worship you now in your name. Amen.